The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Providing insight and resources for your spiritual journey. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, lovely listeners, welcome to the show today. We are going to be, oh, so international. After the first break, we'll be bringing on Jasmine Singer. You know her from our hen house. She's a wonderful animal rights activist, but she's also a heck of a writer who has a brand new memoir, Always Too Much and Never Enough, about her, her life as an obese young person and how she found a way out of that and uh, some other really fascinating information too. But right now, we are going to be crossing all kinds of continents and time zones and probably the international dateline to talk (laughs) with Dr. Luke Wilson all the way from Wellington, New Zealand. He is a medical doctor, and in his final year of med school, he traveled to the U.S. to intern with Dr. John McDougall. You all know Dr. McDougall, the McDougall plan, and the starch solution. Dr. Wilson also spent time studying at the True North Health Center in Santa Rosa. You know them, too. That's where you go if you want to fast and heal. Dr. Wilson is actively involved in research studies on plant-based nutrition in New Zealand. And here's what's exciting. In 2014, he and colleague Dr. Matthew Hobbs and whole food enthusiast Craig Hagen founded Two Zesty Bananas, a website and clinic aimed at promoting the positive aspects of a plant-based lifestyle to a younger audience. And he co-authored the 21st Century Food Course. We're going to learn all that from Dr. Luke Wilson. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Victoria. It's great to be here. Wonderful. It's so cool to have you say good morning. And to me, it's good (laughs) afternoon. And Lord knows what it is to all the people listening. Exactly. It's It's a beautiful Thursday morning here. Well, I'm sure it is. I have heard people say that New Zealand is the most beautiful country on earth, and they're not even New Zealanders. So um, I'd love to get there one of these days. So, we have to come visit sometime. I would love that. So how did you find out about this Whole Foods plant-based way of being, and why did you decide to be that kind of doctor? Um, well, as you, as you mentioned before, I did end up interning with um, Dr. McDougall, but the interesting thing, well, what people often find quite interesting is I actually decided to become uh, vegetarian when I was, I was just four, 
Um, at that, that stage, it was all about uh, the animals, a pet lamb of mine, actually. Um, and when I got a bit older, uh, in my teens, I started to get really into my health and fitness. And by that point, of course, reading all those magazines and things, uh, I fell for the protein myth a little bit. And I started to think that uh, being vegetarian was perhaps not as good as I could be doing if, if I was eating animal products. Um, I continued on with it. But I certainly didn't think that uh, being plant-based or vegan uh, would be something that would be uh, any better for you. And um, after going to uh, university, I, I, uh, I got a psychology degree there and decided that it gave me a great background in research, but it really wasn't exactly my calling. And so I decided to go to medical school. And about uh, three years into my degree, I actually came across uh, a book that you may have heard of, um, just a, a little book called The China Study. Um, <laughs> yeah, once and, or twice I've heard of that. Yeah, I think so. Um, so um, from once once I discovered that from then on, and I pretty much read everything I could about um, plant-based nutrition, and I started to transition um, from vegetarian to um, basically what I was doing was was a, a uh, reasonably healthy vegan um, diet, but I still hadn't quite made the complete transition to a, a whole foods plant-based diet, mainly because I was finding uh, giving up oil quite difficult. Um, and then um, it just so happened that in, in 2010, I was, I, by that stage I was browsing Dr. Esselstyn's website uh, one day and I, I noticed that he was coming to New Zealand um, to a place in the North Island called Rotorua um, to speak at a a chip summit conference there mm-hmm. and and so of course I was, I was very very excited by that because by that stage he along with um, Dr. McDougall and um, Dr. Ornish and uh, Dr. Gregor who I understand you're going to have on um, again soon um, mm-hmm. those guys are all heroes of mine so I ended up uh, going up to this conference by myself camping out and um, getting to meet uh, Dr. Esselstyn and his um, his wife Anne and they gave me some real practical tools um, that enabled me to fully understand how easy it was to give up the things like oil. And the other the other really exciting thing for me was that uh, during the conference, um, they announced, oh, we've got this little movie that we're going to be showing you guys, and it hasn't really been released yet. And, of course, I because I was so into it by that stage, I knew exactly what that was going to be, and that was Forks Over Knives and the first time that I saw it. So I was just absolutely over the moon. And so <laughs> ever, ever, ever since then, I've I pretty much um, been completely whole foods plant-based. As, as you know, sometimes it can be a little bit tricky when you go out to restaurants and things to keep it oil-free. But, um, yeah, so that's sort of how I got into it. And then, of course, um, made that decision to go to um, Santa Rosa to intern with Dr. McDougall and... Uh, work with the the um, the doctors at True North Health Centre as well. Yes, um, yes. Last year at medical school, and so I had had that as well. That's fabulous. So, what about two zesty bananas? First, what? Where did the title come from? <laughs> That's yeah. I actually thought that was going to be your first question, um, but anyways. So it's basically we wanted something to go with something that was a little bit different and, and fresh sounding, and as you might be aware, is sort of most medical names can be a little bit generic sounding. So the other thing too is, is nowadays finding a good domain name can be really difficult. And of course there's uh, two of us that started at this point, two doctors and bananas are Matt's favorite food. I actually remember um, I was listening a few weeks back and you had um, a couple of people from uh, the Austin Health Hoopla talk about um, why they'd chosen to call it a hoopla rather than a conference, and I think they gave some really good reasons that sort of mirror our philosophy on that kind of thing as well. So just something that people can get excited about and doesn't sound quite as daunting, I suppose. Well, it's fun. You know, I think it would make people want to read further, and when they do, what will they see? Uh, when they look at our website and things. Yes. Um, so they're going to be seeing, I suppose... It's it's a different take slightly on on whole foods plant based. Um, so we're trying to make a, sure that that our approach is fun. It's not overly technical. Uh, we want to keep things uh, really light hearted, um, even though health, of course, can be quite a serious um, subject. I, I really feel that people respond better to positivity, and 
Uh, we're trying to keep things as as we have in the course um, in sort of bite-sized chunks and easy to retain information, just sort of really nicely summarised. And our focus is, is mostly on the benefits of um, a whole food plant-based lifestyle rather than perhaps what's going to happen to you down the line. Well, I know that you're trying to gear this to younger people. You're saying the mm-hmm. 16 to 34 demographic, although I'm sure anybody could love it and, and enjoy yeah, it because it it's lots of fun. It's bright. It's colorful. It's, it's wonderful. But when you are trying to reach a younger population, people are saying, of, eh, what? Are you kidding? You know, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll worry about that 30 years from now. How do you approach that uh, demographic? Yeah, I think it, it does have to be a matter of of trying to have a slightly different approach to it, trying to tell people more about, give them the information about what the benefits are that they can experience from doing this. And and I suppose from, from my own perspective, that's one of the reasons that I keep doing this as well. And even with the people that I've, I've worked with who are, uh, outside that demographic, let's put it that way. Um, one of the most interesting things I find with them, you know, as doctors, we get very excited if their blood pressure is reducing or their cholesterols come down, things like that. But as far as how that's actually making them feel, um, it, it's it's not what they get as excited about. They're more excited about things like uh, having more energy, um, being able to stop thinking about food. This is one of our sort of catchphrases is stop thinking about food and get on with their life. Um, they're excited about things like a clearer skin and more attractive complexion. And um, for younger people, uh, things like, for me, when I was really into this, uh, I was really interested in, in things like exercise and healthy muscle gain. So you can achieve that with this, um, faster recovery from exercise or activity. And... The other thing, too, for younger people, you can end up with lower food and health costs, of course, and that's particularly an issue for people who are uh, students or maybe people that are sort of just starting out. And the other thing, too, which I think is really important, one thing that we've tried to emphasise a lot in the course is that I think young people and, and just people in general uh, are becoming a lot more environmentally conscious nowadays, and so obviously uh, through doing this, it's, it's probably the number one thing that people can be doing themselves to drastically reduce their carbon footprint and contribute to cleaner waterways, lakes, rivers, oceans, swimming and drinking water. And even talking international again, it's it's something we can be doing to really make a big difference to world hunger. So all of these things are are the kinds of things that we are focusing on and and emphasizing for this younger demographic to try and get them really excited and, and, you know, not just the young younger demographic as well. I think it's things that everyone can really get excited about. And it's, it's, I think it's also an easy way that you can approach talking about uh, a vegan or whole food plant-based lifestyle to uh, friends who, you know, or or family who uh, you're trying to get interested in and trying to help them out as well. So, You've got the site, twozestybananas.com, and it's fun mm-hmm. and colorful and has big blocks of cool information. But within yeah. that, you've got this course, the 21st mm-hmm. Century Food Course, which I guess one would say is the tofurkey of the matter. It's really got a lot of substance. So tell us about that. Um, so this is... This is a it's a digital ebook uh, that we've created, and it has it can be read as a six week course, but also it works quite nicely as a book of bite sized facts. Like uh, I think you mentioned in your um, comments that you gave us that it was a little bit like reading a graphic novel. Um, so we've tried to make this uh, fun, colourful, engaging and accessible and maybe something that people would pick up even if they had no interest, you know, particular interest in health. Um, the other thing too, because of it being uh, digital, it's very easy for us to update it easily. And what I also wanted to do is to give people, I suppose, a, a, uh, a background in this. Um, without necessarily needing to go through all of the research and reading that I have and Craig and I are both 
went through to in order to put it together. So we looked at over um, over forty different books because there's so many out there nowadays, and there's new ones coming out all the time. Um, like I said before, I'm a big fan of Michael Greger's um, work and his new book. Um, I've been reading that at the moment, and so whenever there's anything interesting in, in those kinds of um, books and things that are coming out, or even new research on on this, then we're able to incorporate that into into what we're doing. Um, so there's there's a big focus on the environment as well in there, and we're really focusing on those positive benefits, and we're trying to focus on inspiring and motivating people and how easy and fun this can be. Oh, that's so cool. And, you know, that's really about all you need to become a serious expert about eating this way. A six-week course that looks like a graphic novel, that just just does it. And right now, you can can download the first week of the course for free if you go to twozestybananas.com. And you can also pre-order the whole course. All the information is there. There's a bunch of recipes. It's all really good and yummy and fun. And tell us about New Zealand. What's going on vegan-wise there? Are people taking to this? Oh, yeah, actually, that's uh, funny you should ask that because we actually just had a study come out, I think it was last month, um, which is really exciting. So they found that the proportion of kiwis, so that's what we call ourselves, not the fruit, um, but uh, it's New Zealanders uh, who say that the food they eat is all or almost all vegetarian. It's it's grown 27% in the last five years, and we're actually over 1 in 10 now that identify as being vegetarian or vegan. Um, so that's that's really coming up. Um, what else have we had? Uh, we've got uh, Susie and James Cameron, um, who you might have heard of before as well, and they've they are New Zealand residents now, and they've got a, a started a food forest organics just over the hill from where I'm I'm living, um, which is completely plant based organic uh, food store. So that's really exciting as well. And we had uh, last year in New Zealand, we had the Animal Welfare Amendment Bill, which uh, not only outlawed cosmetic testing, but it also gave legal recognition of animals as sentient beings that experience positive and negative emotions. Um, that's as, huge. Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's definitely some some cool things going on over here. Of course, there's the couple of plant-based studies um, that I've been involved in one way or another, and I'm sure you hear more about those in the future. And, of course, we've got our beautiful temperate climate, as always, which has real potential for growing more amazing fruit and vegetables mm. and things. So I think this is something we can really get behind here. Wow. Now, you mentioned the kiwis, and when I was reading Dr. Greger's How Not to Die, the kiwi fruit kept coming up. For all of its amazing properties, you want to give us a few of those. Um, I know that it's very high in antioxidants, um, and I haven't got to that part in Dr. Greger's book just yet. But um, I've, yeah, it's it's definitely high fiber antioxidants, and um, we've got those two varieties as well. So there's the the green and the gold. I don't know if well, you get both right. in there. I've the heard of one. the golden. I've never had. <laughs> does it taste different? It's it's a lot sweeter, and the skin doesn't have um, the skin's not fuzzy. And I actually oh. eat the skins, which is an interesting fact because apparently that gives you more nutrition. And um, so probably better get the organic ones. But yeah, yeah. So oh, that's. Yeah, the, I remember those. when we first started getting them over here. I don't know if it was fifteen years ago, twenty years ago, because we didn't mm. always have them. And it no. just seemed like such a connection to your part of the world and that beautiful green of the green ones. I figured even then, this has got to have some good stuff in there you're not getting from other things because you don't usually get this color. So, famous last words on Two Zesty Bananas and the 21st Century Food Course? Um, just... Do I it? So. <laughs> check, check, yeah, check, come check us out. Like us on Facebook. We're on all the social media, even uh, even do a bit of Snapchat. Um, and yeah, come have a look at the course and tell, tell people about us and uh, help us um, reach some people in America and, and everyone just keep on doing what you're doing because I think it's really making a big difference to things and we're really excited about it. So well, and- really appreciate the opportunity to be here and to, to talk to you all. 
Oh, thank you so much. So back at you with all of that, and we'll put all the URLs on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. Uh, the website is twozestybananas.com, and we're spelling out the two. Um, two Zesty Bananas on Facebook and on Instagram and Twitter. Oh, my gosh, you're just so consistent. Lucky you across the board online. <laughs> so all the best with the program. Please let me know when you come back to New York. We'll go have a kiwi shake or something. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. I'll Thank see you, you so much. All the best. Thanks, Victoria. Aha. Uh-huh. And everybody else, stay with us through these messages. We're going to be back with the inimitable Ms. Jasmine Singer. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. away in the Unity Library archives in Unity Village, Missouri, you can find a secret treasure. They are the scripts from Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore's early days on broadcast radio, the teachings of Unity's founders, almost a hundred years old. Now, for the first time in history, you can hear them through the power of the Internet. Join Bob Brock every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore's talks and of other Unity Radio speakers read on the air again. Call in your comments and questions as Bob and his special guests revisit Unity Radio talks of the past, along with historical background from the early days of the Unity movement. That's Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Right here on Unity FM. The voice of an awakening world. listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. This memoir will transform you. Pick it up and let the journey begin. Kathy Freston said that about always too much and never enough. The stupendous memoir of Jasmine Singer, who is our guest in this segment of the show. I'll read you a little bit about who Jasmine is. If you don't already know, I'll bet you already know. In addition to being a new memoirist, uh, Jasmine is half 
of Our Hen House. You know the podcast, the TV show. There's now a new offshoot podcast, Teaching Jasmine How to Cook Vegan. Jasmine was named by The Advocate magazine as one of their 40 under 40 people to teach us about each other. She and her partner, animal rights attorney Marianne Sullivan, are indeed changing the world for animals. It is such a privilege and a pleasure to know them, to have them teach at Main Street Vegan Academy, and now to have Jasmine on the show for a second time. But this time, we're going to be talking about her brand new book, Always Too Much and Never Enough. It was just featured today in one of the New York City newspapers. Congratulations on that, and welcome to the show, the divine Miss Jasmine. I could pretty much die happy with that. The divine Miss Jasmine, really? I love you. Yeah, <laughs> I love you yeah. already, but that makes it even better. Thank you. Well, I learned this about you. I learned so much about you. It's very interesting to read books by people you know, because you think you know them. And then you read the book, and it's like, wow, I never knew she was a big Bette Midler fan. I never knew. I never knew. <laughs> so the story is... <clears throat> that you used to eat with wild abandon and carry a lot of it on your body. Tell us about all that. Yeah, well, it's something I think you could probably relate to. I know that you and I have talked about this so many times, and I think a lot of people can relate to it on on some level. My book, Always Too Much and Never Enough, is the story of how I learned that I was being betrayed by by the food industry, by big ag specifically. And it's really my journey toward finding personal authenticity as I started ripping apart what that meant for me. And of course, it's not as though I have reached personal authenticity and I'm done <laughs> and we can move on. It's an ongoing journey. But a very big part of it happened in you know the first 36 years of my life when I started to realize that even though it was the food industry betraying me, it was also myself. I was hiding so many things behind overconsumption of Cheez-Its and Oreos and, and, and you name it, just whatever junk food was in front of me, that was my best friend or my therapist. So that was how I wound up a hundred pounds heavier than I am now. That was how I ended up on my way to heart disease at age 30. And that was really the beginning of my story. Well, I was fascinated by the beginning of your story because I relate so much, because you and I were both very heavy children and adolescents, and we both had parents who were thin and dieted all the time. Now, one of the things that surprised me, Jasmine, was the degree of bullying that you underwent as a child and young person in the 80s and 90s, I went through that stuff in the 50s and 60s when nobody else was heavy. I mean, it was Jackie Gleason and me. And I thought that by the time you came along, so many people were carrying extra weight that there wouldn't be so much cruelty to, to a child who was heavier. This book blew me away. Oh, that's really, yeah. You know, it's funny that you said that you would have thought it would have been different for me because before you said that, I was thinking, I wonder if it's different now because I think it is. I think there's a lot more out there about bullying and about uh, teaching kids how to be kinder to each other. But then again, I, I don't really know. For me, I was definitely, I was bullied to the tune of a of a 60 Minutes special about bullying. It was really bad. And in retrospect, I I wish that I had not gone through the public school system that I went through. But of course, at the time, nobody really knew what to do with a kid like me and with the bullies who were who were just giving me hell all the time. So they kind of ignored it. The teachers ignored it. My mother told me to ignore it. It was very well-meaning of her because what do you do? And so it was bad and food became my confidant. It was really there for me. Of course, that was an illusion, but you don't figure that out at the moment. Well, you tell the stories so poignantly and a few times in the book, you relate back to some of the things that people did to you. I know there was an 
incident when in your late teens, I believe, of, of date rape, and you relate these things back to how the animals are treated. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, that's something that has really informed my animal rights activism today. Even what I was just uh, talking about, being a, a bullied kid, really taught me about how easily we as a society just cast aside whoever we decide is less than for whatever arbitrary reason. So that was me. I had firsthand experience with that. That later informed my activism in the AIDS awareness world, as well as ultimately in animal rights. And then, yes, when I was 19, I went through a a really bad episode, which I talk about in my book, and it involved being violated by a man. And that's something that later really connected the dots for me when I went vegan, because I was a longtime vegetarian before I went vegan. And I started to realize that I had been treated as though I was a a product or I was just a body. And that is how we treat the animals who we eat and their byproducts. So as you know, when, when I was consuming the amount of dairy and eggs that I was consuming, it was actually totally against my feminist beliefs. It was taking part in the exploitation of female reproductive organs, which is what I had gone through as a, as a 19 year old in this guy's bedroom in New Brunswick, New Jersey. I think there is a lot of of this kind of exploitation. I, I guess all women experience some to some degree. I found that there was more because I was heavy. I remember once I was 17 and was taking this modeling course. And the reason I was taking it was because they teach you things like how to lose weight. But they would also send us out on some of these little jobs. And I remember going to this hotel and then these men were just saying horrible, suggestive, very, very uncomfortable things to me. So I got out of there and called the agency, and the woman was outraged and said, just stay where you are, I'm going to call them and give them a piece of my mind. But when she called back, her voice had gotten very, very cold. And she said, he said to me, what do I expect sending in someone who's 40 pounds overweight. Uh, All of a sudden it was that, well, you're, you're fat, so what do you expect? Tell us about some of your experiences. That's a really heartbreaking story. And I think, I think, again, a lot of people have had experiences like that. I think that that's why people are telling me that the, even the idea of being always too much and never enough is something that resonates with them. For me, it was not only about the food I ate, which was, of course, always too much. There was constant food, junk food going into my body, never a vegetable, but it was never enough. I was craving it more and more and more. And that has a lot to do with the way it's made. It's made with the understanding that it's consumers, me, would be willing to just eat these foods that are balanced with the perfect amount of fat to salt to sugar and added to that the exact right texture of smushy (laughs) to go down our gullet at precisely the right speed. Oh, smushy is a very, very nice uh, (laughs) (laughs) consistency. Yeah, exactly. Smushy. So that we just eat more and more. It's always too much and never enough. And I also felt like I was always too much, taking up too much space in the room, but never enough, you know, never quite living up to what I thought society expected of me. And your mom. As a writer, I've never written a memoir, although... I just I told you I just had lunch with my agent who happens to also be your agent and so something like that may happen in the future but I so admire how you were able to talk about very difficult things and I know a lot of people want to write but they're afraid to and and your mother from from your book your mother's a lovely woman I I've met her but she was very interested in, in maintaining her own slimness. And you have great stories about Weight Watchers and Jenny Craig and Nutrisystem. <laughs> I mean, ah, and, and yet you, you, you said 
things that happen that a lot of people would be afraid, oh my gosh, what if my mom is mad at me? How's that gone for you? Yeah, I was terrified of it. <laughs> I, I There was the moment, I think I tried to prepare for it for a good year and a half, and I probably over-prepared her for it, so that might have been a good thing. I I ultimately gave her the book, and I said, you can't call me until you're done with the whole thing. And, I, you know, I've tried to be really loving to her throughout, oh, yeah. throughout the book. And, you know, I've always said, Victoria, that, you know, I don't have kids, and a big part of why is because there is a small chance that they would grow up and write a memoir. (laughs) So I was scared. You can't write about food and body image without talking a lot about your mother. It's just not possible. And my mom wound up taking it really well. She, she had a lot of, she was very graceful about it. She was very supportive. She, you know, apologized, which I totally didn't need her to do. And I said that we're all just doing the best we can, getting through day by day. And my mom was was and remains a very good mother. She was just struggling with her own stuff that I, being her chubby daughter, trying to squeeze myself into her skinny shadow, just naturally absorbed. And I'm not sure she was like as careful as she could have been about that whole thing. But again, it was a different time and a different day. And she has evolved as have I since then. What was so interesting, because I found myself reading this book actually relating to both of you. And and I want to ask you this question, too. I want to know, even though you have a thin body now, do you still relate as a fat person? I mean, I really do. If I walk into a party and I don't know a soul and it feels a little bit uncomfortable and I see a group of people who are a little bit heavy, I'll gravitate there because I'll just assume that they're going to be nicer than those people who are more my size but not my people. So I don't know how you come at that. Uh, and I've actually forgotten my other question, so please answer that one. Do you feel like you're uh, at heart, thin person, fat person? I don't think I know. <laughs> I think probably just I'm always the fat kid in the back of my head. Mm-hmm. I'm just not even the fat person, just the fat kid, because mm-hmm. that really stuck with me. That doesn't mean I don't have confidence or understand that I'm like a perfectly attractive person and it's not that I don't have the confidence it's just a way that you relate to the world it it becomes such a big part of you that I'm not sure that ever goes away completely and that changed a lot for me when I lost a lot of weight because I started to realize how I was suddenly being kind of celebrated I, I had jumped the fence from what the world had decided was less than and someone to kind of other into a position where the world was saying yay let's accept you and it really for a moment in time anyway left me with a bit of a chip on my shoulder and a lot of confusion about how I had been treated before Oh, it's absolutely true. It's like, uh, excuse me, same person here. Right. Yeah. Well, it's it's very interesting. And I know you've been involved in a lot of of social justice movements, not just animal rights, but LGBT, other social justice movements. I'm beginning, as I get older, to see how much incredible um, prejudice there is against older people. There's just almost like, you know, don't show me anybody who isn't young. I just can't bear to look at it. And so I just see with all these ideas that we have in our culture about who's acceptable and who isn't, it's pretty difficult to get up in the morning and go out there in the world with confidence. What do you tell people? I think that it's about having peace within your body, whether you're fat, thin, in between, old, young, (laughs) whatever you are. I think that it, it, the important piece is peace. And, and for me, the only reason that I ultimately got to this place where I felt I was no longer betraying myself, where I was able to fully embrace my sexuality, for example, where I was able to really be a much more confident person in the way I related to myself and the way I related to the world was to get to a place where I was cool with me. And Mm -hmm. That was not possible when I was engaging in toxic, addictive behavior, not only of food, but also of 
toxic relationships with people who were probably just as bad for me as the Oreos that I ate in record speed. So mm-hmm. I think that I, I, I don't think that that will solve what you just said. That's just the way we relate to ourselves. I think it's infuriating the way uh, our society is completely hell bent on just celebrating what they want to celebrate and casting everyone else aside in the process. But if we start to relate to ourselves as a whole person then and have compassion and kindness and love for us, then I think we can start to extend that outward. Well, and you, you do that. You're such a loving person in, in your own life. Now, I know that next week you're going to be speaking for um, a group of people who celebrate being people of size. And you tackle this in, in the book, uh, in, in the later part of Always Too Much and Never Enough, and you do it really beautifully. So obviously, no one should be exploited. No one should be abused. Everyone should be able to be proud of himself, herself every day. And yet, every medical journal has something in it about how being too heavy is killing us. How do you juxtapose that? I think it depends on the moment. I don't, I, and the person and the situation and, and the, and just so many factors that I can't make a huge generalized claim about it. I will say that there, of course, there's a point where being obese becomes a true health concern. And there are so many issues in that. There's dietary racism issues. There's the fact that so many different, uh, so, so many marginalized groups are not given adequate health care uh, or, or do not feel they can obtain it or do not know how. There's so many issues in that that are it's not just about the person it's also about the the things that were being screamed at by mainstream media and i i do think that it's that that it starts with finding peace within ourselves if if we truly have it i would argue that we wouldn't be morbidly obese that doesn't i don't think everyone needs to be skinny i'm certainly not and i you know i i think that it's it's a process of of weighing so to speak how we feel in our body truthfully and if we're consuming foods that not only are in line with our ethical beliefs but also are in line with our our most genuine needs for me even after i was vegan i had gained a lot of weight after i was vegan and i was not eating in a consistent in a consistent way with what I actually needed. I never ate a vegetable, for example. And if I was actually looking at that with my eyes open, there's just no way. There's just no way that I I would have continued to eat that way. Well, that brings me to a a very interesting point about uh, veganism and and junk food vegans. And, and, And it's hard for me to get my mind around that because when I was introduced to veganism, the junk foods didn't exist. And I see now that it really is an entirely different world. I also remember what I was thinking when I said I related to your mom, too, because I related to chasing the thin thing, because I would go back and forth between binging and you know going to Weight Watchers. Like you, I actually worked for Weight Watchers. Yes. And I remember when I went back to binging, I decided one day I weighed in at Weight Watchers and I was so thin. I I never would go on their maintenance thing because I was afraid, you know, I would gain weight. So I was 94 pounds and I thought, well, you can't possibly be fat now. You're 94 pounds. And so I went to the drugstore across the street and bought a pound of salted cashews and started the whole process over again and just gained so much weight so quickly. Of course, lost my Weight Watchers job. Now, you, on the other hand, were smart enough when you saw your weight creeping up and it might affect your job with Weight Watchers. You went to Jenny Craig (laughs) to lose the weight, to keep your Weight Watchers job, and your mother paid for the Jenny Craig. I love that story. I was in my my early 20s at the time, and I was trying to be an actress, and so I didn't really have the money for that. That's why I got a part-time job with, with Weight Watchers, and yeah, it was like 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 you just explained, same thing for me. I, I wasn't looking at the systemic reasons behind why I ate. It wasn't even so much the food I was eating all the time. It was oftentimes 
the energy I brought to it or the lack of consciousness that I brought to it and what it was, what it was filling inside of me that wasn't Mm. really appropriate. So yeah, I wound up losing weight on, on, on Jenny Craig to keep my job with Weight Watchers. (laughs) I love it. That's perfect. And only somebody who really understands this would get it. Some civilian person who just eats and that's it would say, huh? Do you think there's like a such thing anymore as that person? I think so. Yeah, I, I do. I think there are some people who are kind of immune to the addictive nature of processed foods, and it's just another something to eat to them. Mm. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I don't hang out with a lot of those people. But that's because, you know, women, I think, tend to be more seduced by the food stuff than men. I mean, this is not to say that men can't be compulsive eaters, can't be obese, <clears throat> but there have been traditionally so many more substances that men could abuse. And so I think women kind of go to the food. That might be a generalization. I'm not sure. But I want to ask you about being a junk food vegan. So somebody today, young, loves animals. What do they eat? I want to go vegan. What do I eat? I mean, to me, the health and the animal, it was all together. It was all of a piece. If you were going to be vegan, it was all wrapped up together. But now it's very clear to me that you can be one or the other. I don't know. How do we bring people to veganism in a balanced way? Well, I think, again, for me, it wasn't even so much about bringing me to veganism in a balanced way. I think that I had just replaced my, the issues that I had around eating and food in my body before veganism with the exact same issues, but the vegan version of them. And so I think for me, it, it was about the ethical imperative of going vegan. But what I didn't realize was I can't advocate for animals at all in any kind of way that's going to work if I wasn't also advocating for myself. So conversations about self-care I think are important I, I I'm you know that's what I think because I wasn't having them with myself that's for sure and uh, I I love that we live in a city I also live in New York City and I, I love that we live in a city where you have your choice of the vegan pizza on the Upper East Side with the vegan cupcakes on the Lower East Side and the Butterfinger Shake in Williamsburg. You know, I love that that's available. There is literally a vegan version of every animal product out there, and and I think we should eat them. I just, for me, I was so addicted to junk food that it didn't even occur. I never craved healthy foods. I, I, the, the thing is, if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, well, I, I, that's all I want to eat too. The, the magical thing that's completely true is once you start to eat healthy foods, you actually crave healthy foods and, mm-hmm. and you don't have to believe me. Just try it and it'll happen. That's exactly what happened to me after I did my first juice fast and took a break from food for a while. I started to absolutely crave the macro plate at Suen, which is still my staple. My, I, I, I'm always a sucker for a good macro plate. And that to me is going out for an amazing meal. Though I, I absolutely still go and have a cupcake every now and then. I just kind of fixed the, the piece that was missing, which is food isn't going to save my life. The only thing that's going to save my life is my heart. Mm. Well, let's talk about the juicing because that was really what turned things around for you. Tell us that story. When I was 30, I was told I was on my way to heart disease and I was 200, I was in the 220s and five foot four. And I was in San Francisco at the time and a, a friend had actually gotten a advanced copy of Fat, Sick and Nearly Dead, which is a movie, a documentary about a man, Joe Cross, who decided that he was going to go on a juice fast for 30 days as a way to reclaim his health. And and so I saw an advanced screening of it. And this was very soon after I had just seen my doctor and he told me the heart disease word. And I was like, what? I'm 30. I have a master's in health and healing. I'm a vegan. I know about this stuff. I know about health. I, but yet I was achy. My body hurt all the time. I couldn't go up 
a flight of stairs without being winded. I, I had adult onset acne. I had a lot of skin problems and just general le- le- being so tired all the time, never feeling well at all. So, so addicted to sugar. And so I decided to try it. My, my partner, Marianne tried it with me and we did it for 10 days. And in those 10 days, I lost 11 pounds and I started schooling myself on the importance of health promoting foods like fruits and veggies and, and some whole grains and high quality fats just in, in moderation. And by the end of it, I had embraced Eat to Live and Joel Furman and I started to eat a very whole foods based diet and I planned my next juice fast for the following month for three days. And every month I did a juice fast for three years. Once it was 10 days, then the next month it would be three, then the next month, 10, three, 10, three, and on and on. And it was no longer about the numbers on the scale. It was suddenly about feeling better. And as that happened, all of my own demons were released that I had been carrying around with me for my whole life. So I don't think everyone would lose weight the way I did because I had that weight to lose. But I think anyone, no matter what size they are, they are could benefit from just really getting down to basics. It was a big mental health break for me too. And I think that that was a a key ingredient. It's an incredible story. And I know so many people have lost weight and regained their health with juicing. And a a lot of people don't even believe in juicing. I mean, in this book that we were just talking about in the first segment, you know, Michael Greger's wonderful How Not to Die. I love that book. But he's like, "Uh, why drink juice? You know, juice is not a whole food. But juice is kind of magical. You know, I, I have definitely people email me and say, this is why juicing doesn't work. And this is why it's not healthy. And I'm like, okay, then don't do it. You know, like it, my book is a memoir. It's not, it's not a how to book. And for me, it really worked. And I was just asked a question the other day that said, what do you say to people who say that juicing is really very trendy? And I say, well, people have been doing it for a really long time, though. I see, I see their point that it's gained popularity in the last several years for sure. For me in my life, it's not trendy. It's something that I'm really comfortable with. And I always know I can go back to it. I've never had any health problems because of it. On the contrary, I I had the opposite. So I don't think everyone needs to juice. I, 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 I don't say that in the book, but for me, it totally worked. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you look fabulous. You're full of vitality. You're full of life. And there is just something about even without the juice fasting, you just drink a juice and you don't want a cookie. It's I don't understand it. I just know it's true. So, Jasmine, we we met just before your book came out in early February and you were talking about your intention for this book And you said, all I really want from it is to help end the exploitation of animals. So it is a memoir. Tell us how it's going to help end the exploitation of animals and what your vision is. Well, like you, I wouldn't do anything in the world if that wasn't my end goal. That's what gets me up in the morning. And I believe really strongly in the power of personal narrative as a means to making that happen, as one of many many means to making that happen. And for for me, you know, you brought up Steve, our agent before, so I'll tell this story because this story really transformed me. In the process of writing the book proposal, which you, by the way, were so supportive and helpful during that process because that, to me, was the most painful part. Just, it was, it was difficult. But you were just always like a little guidepost throughout that. But in that process, Steve said to me, anytime you feel like you're proselytizing, just take a step off of your soap box and tell a story about how you felt when when you learned about factory farming for example and so i did that i one place where i did it in my book is is when i was watching a documentary about factory farming for the first time and rather than rather than 
scream what I want to scream about what's going on for the chickens who whose lives were being cut short in drastic, horrific ways. I talked about what it was like for me sitting in that auditorium, how my legs were shaking, how I jutted out of my seat, how I was remembering my broken family from being a child, and how I looked at these animals and I thought of my cat. It was all about me. It was through my lens. So I think that that creates what I hope is a safe wall for people who might not know that that's the book they're necessarily picking up and it's my story it, it i hope that people as a result of reading my book will question their assumptions that they've held throughout throughout their lives assumptions about themselves assumptions about the world and ask themselves the tough questions about whether or not their behavior is in line with who they want to be in the world and with their ethical beliefs so my hope is that people land on the side of plants in the in the process of that I love that. Land on the side of plants. It's beautiful. Ah. Now, I'll put all of this information on um, MainStreetVegan.net. Just click on podcast and your little drop down will come and it'll say show notes and that will tell you all this stuff. But you can find Jasmine the writer at jasminesinger.com and she's going to be touring for a year. We really know it's a new world when book tours last a year. So go to jasminesinger.com slash events and see when she's going to be in your area. You will love her. You will totally love her. You'll want to go out and have a juice. And then, of course, her wonderful organization uh, with Marianne Singer and a lot of other, uh, Marianne Sullivan and a lot of other wonderful people over there, uh, ourhenhouse.org, a multimedia hub to change the world for animals. You can um, find them on Twitter at Our Hen House, on Instagram at Our Hen House, or Jasmine Singer Author. Again, I'll put all these up for you. Jasmine, God bless you. You are such a sweetheart. And people who haven't met her, Jasmine is just like a flower. She is <laughs> tattooed. She does tap dancing. She loves animals. She loves people. And when you go to hear her speak, you'll just feel like your life got a resurgence. And you'll feel the same way when you read this amazing memoir, Never Always Too Much and Never Enough. Thank you, Jasmine Singer. Thank you, everybody, for listening. God bless you bunches. Eat and drink your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. It is the birthright of each and every one of us to live an awakened life. Most religions and spiritual traditions teach us that we need to adopt a certain belief system or follow some prescribed steps to attain a state of enlightenment. A long-held belief about awakening is that only a small number of people destined to become gurus or spiritual teachers can attain it. It is certainly true that until recent times, only a small number of people on the planet had attained this state of full self-realization. These saints, mystics, and spiritual masters were seen as special. They certainly were at the time. However, times are changing. This message was brought to you by T.J. Woodward, host of Awakened Living Radio. Learn more from T.J. on his weekly podcasts. Episodes are available on UnityOnlineRadio.org, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Remember when you entered first grade? Did you find it hard to believe you'd ever be able to learn and do all that was expected of you? Do you remember how, through your own consistent effort and the support of your parents and teachers, you did learn the basics and went on to master more complex skills? Life is a process similar to the one we experience in school. As we move through life and attempt to expand our awareness of who we are and what life is all about, we encounter new problems, such as the schoolroom of daily living. We can approach each situation with a positive attitude. 
take one step at a time and know it's only a matter of persistence before we arrive at a solution. Repeated efforts will accomplish any undertaking. This Law of Life is brought to you by Unity. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. If I were brave, I'd walk the razors Where fools and dreamers dare to tread And never lose faith How is life working for you? Would it be okay with you if life got easier, simpler, yet more meaningful and vibrant? Join certified life coach Carla McClellan Tuesday afternoons for Vibrant Living. Each week, Coach Carla and her guests will share strategies and solutions designed to make your life more vibrant. Is there something in your life you'd like help with? A dream you'd like to achieve? A relationship you'd like to improve? Call into the show toll-free for Coaching with Carla. That's Vibrant Living, Life Coaching with Carla, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Central on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What if we're all meant to do what we secretly dream? Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling, and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together. 